This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. You're listening to Be Kind Rewind with Tim Nidell, taking you back to when movies were actually good. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? When music wasn't auto-tuned. When TV only had a few channels. And now, here's your host, Tim Nidell. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Be Kind Rewind with Tim Nidell. That's me, of course. I'd appreciate if you follow me online. It's at Tim underscore Nidell for Twitter and Instagram. And my website is just timnidell.com. I also run a YouTube channel where I do vlogs, I do Disney trips, retro things from the 80s and 90s. I would appreciate if you guys subscribe to me on there as well. Just type in my name, Tim Nidell, and you'll find me. And uh, as the intro said, this show, Be Kind Rewind, is all about going back to the good old days of music, the good days of movies, and of course, television. And this episode is going to do exactly that, because I have the great Carol Spinney on the show today. Now, this interview is a few years old. It was an interview I did on my other podcast, Saturday Morning Rewind, because Carol Spinney, unfortunately, has passed. He passed away on December 8th, 2019, but he lived a good life. You know, he really did. And he definitely gave me an amazing childhood because he was the original voice and puppeteer for Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. So all the way from 1969 until he stopped in 2018, he was a voice and puppet of both of those. And I don't know about you guys, but I I cherished both of those characters when I was a kid. I mean, I still love them now. And uh, it's unfortunate that we did lose Carol, but his memory definitely lives on in the two characters that he created. So uh, without further ado, here's my interview with Carol Spinney. Hey, Carol. Hi, how are you, Tim? Good. How are you doing today? Great. Well, I kind of want to start off by just saying that I'm a Sesame Street kid. I was born in 1980, and I remember loving it so much, sitting in front of the TV before school, on, on sick days, I would stay home and watch Sesame Street. And so thank you so much for being such a big part of my childhood. Well, that was my pleasure. Thank you. It's kind of a dream for me because I, I'm doing what I did was, uh, when I was a kid. I drew comic books all the time. And um, I've had my own comic strip uh, published uh, for, for two years while I was stationed in Germany in an American newspaper. And I've, I've been doing puppets on TV now for almost seven years. Wow, that's... <laughs> can you believe it? That's insane. Yeah, really. Actually, it's, it'd be more like 65 years, I guess. I used to do puppet ministry for my, my church when I was, I think I was maybe eight years old. Uh-huh. So I, I remember just kind of tuning in to Sesame Street to get the inspiration for my... My puppet was named Carlos. So I was Carlos the, the, the puppet. And uh, I, I remember just wanting to be a puppeteer when I was a little kid. Yeah. I saw my first show when I was about five. I think it was. Uh, I think they were students, uh, either high school or college. But uh, when you're five, you don't know how old people are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's kids on Sesame Street. You know, I was when I was doing the bird. I still do it. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I still have the job. Anyway, I've asked little kids. Uh, so how do you, how old do you think I am? One says a hundred, <laughs> and at that time I was in my thirties. 
And uh, <laughs> um, and then another one said seventeen. I said I like you best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I must say, to do what I was doing as a little boy, I decided by the time I was, uh, I, I saw another puppet show later on when I was about seven or eight. And I gave my first puppet show when I was eight. I had a, I bought a puppet for five cents. Wow! Uh, oddly enough, I found a, I came across that puppet. I didn't know I still had it. Wow! That's really cool. Monkey, I paid a nickel for. Wow! It's got to go in some kind of museum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just about to draw. I'm, I I take commissions on drawings and uh, color full color drawings. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. And they wanted a picture of her Oscar and Big Bird surrounded by puppets of the world. So I, I have some books on puppetry, so I'm just putting about six or eight puppets in the scene with him, with them in all different colors and different types, all the way from the ugly ones and and uh, <laughs> the, the, from the you know from Asia. Some of them are pretty ugly. Speaking of ugly, and, Big Bird was pretty hideous the first season. He of was it. awful. I, I was so disappointed <laughs> when I was, they build him around me. You know, although strangely enough, it's the same head. You see now, as I started with in 1969. Wow, it's it's been redecorated many times with different feathers and you know improved. They get got better and better at, at uh, every every about every two years they get re re uh, total rehashed and uh, it needed because the feathers don't last too long. No, they're real feathers. And uh, I would always be pleased sometimes when they show up, and other times I said, no, that's that doesn't look close enough to them. Look at look at the photos. It doesn't look right, you know, so I'd have to get them straightened out. <laughs> Behold my process. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, uh huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot, fun surprises, and delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude. Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Yeehoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as low as $11.99 per month, those are facts just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, dig No, let's, let's go a ways back and tell me about that um, show you did at Salt Lake City in the late 60s, the one that got really messed up. Can you tell me a little bit more about that show? Yeah. Oddly enough, I was, uh, on Friday night, I, I did a show in that very hall. It's called Kingsbury Hall at uh, the University of Utah. So I didn't know when I was going there, flying there on uh, last weekend to, to do the show that I was going to be in the very theater I was in where everything went wrong. Uh, what what happened was um, I had a very elaborate show. I had uh, already learned animation, how to produce it and make it, draw it. And I just decided to, to uh, build a rear screen projection theater so the puppets would perform in front of this rear screen. And uh, I filmed the animation. I took almost a year to do it. 
of I had used of a lovely animation stand for free, and uh, so I had a, that's my first using of a it was computerized. That was way back in uh, the '60s. Wow. Although more more like a rec- like uh, the early um, adding machines, are probably more like that, you know. Okay. But not not really full computer. But uh, I still don't have a computer, so. I... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I I made this film, and the idea was that I was going to meld two uh, mediums. One is uh, animation, and the other is live puppetry. And for instance, the puppet, when the when the show starts, these it's a blue screen because I could project from the back, 16-millimeter films. And uh, I made the films myself. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't make copies. I only I used the original, which is very unprofessional. Because mm-hmm. before I ever got home, my car burned down and lost everything. Oh, man. In it. And uh, I, I, I lost, including years, film work. So I couldn't have And the theater was mostly destroyed. Wow. So uh, it was all packed into my Ford band, which were big bands in those days. So uh, it was just a one-shot deal, but it got me this good job. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and, uh, you know, actually, uh, what went wrong was that they, I, I started the show, I put on my music, I, I, run, I bought knee switches. I could press them on my knees, because I had to do this on my knees, on on the foam padding, because I couldn't stand up, the theater would be too tall. Hmm. As it was, it was nine feet tall. And because uh, the screen was it was the shape of the modern flat TVs, you know, wide, long, and wide. Uh-huh. And uh, so the, the uh, screen is blue, and these white uh, geometric forms, like triangles, come dancing out and moving as though they were alive. And uh, then they, the idea was that they jump off the screen, and you see them going forward. And then I would replace it with a, an exact duplicate of it in front. And so they would then dance with themselves both in, in animation and in uh, moving form, which I was moving around. But I, I look up, and to my horror, I couldn't see the screen. There was a great big wash of light all over it. Somebody had, uh, I had carefully balanced the lights in the place before I went for supper. While I was gone to supper, somebody comes along and said, oh, there's not enough light on that. I hadn't, my, because they didn't turn, I didn't leave my puppet lights on, mm-hmm. which were built into the theater, so they would light the things with the, the character, the puppets, so it would not rush on my screen. So they put this big floodlight on, and I, I, so I, I, I couldn't see the screen to do the animation and move my puppets in sync with the what I had filmed. So I had to stop everything, which got it all out of sync. And um, I came out front, and I said, could you please turn off that light? I did not put that on. It should, I don't know who wanted to help, but they, they're destroying mm-hmm. the show. <laughs> and Walt, and uh, Jim Henson was in the, in the audience looking. No, he was. I knew he was there, but I didn't know he was scouting for a new show. Yeah, oh man. And um, the new show, of course, was Sesame Street. And um, so, but uh, but uh, in a way, um, Jane Hansen pointed out because Jim was sometimes a man of few words. Other times he talked a lot. He's a genius. Anyway, he uh, if I hadn't had the, the theater go wrong, I wouldn't. The show wouldn't have been so funny. Is uh, I, I I was my reactions and ad libs were funnier than my writing. <laughs> so so um, it, that's what made him decide that I was good on my feet. And uh, even though I was kneeling, oh, uh, and um, that I, I would be a good person to maybe have him do a new puppet. He wanted to build a tall, goofy bird and a, 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 a purple 
character who lives in a pile of trash named Oscar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because he wasn't, he never was purple. And I changed Big Bird from being a goofy yokel to a uh, a child. Yes. Yes. And that was about probably. I, 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 was, I, I might as well choose. Three months into the show, I, I began to realize how inappropriate it was that he was a country yokel. Yeah. Well, hi there, a big bird. How are you doing? Uh-uh. And uh, you know, I could have sung, "Oh, I love you, you love me." <laughs> it would have, it would have. I could have gotten that job. Yep. <laughs> Thanks. You know that uh, Barney weighs seventy pounds. A big bird weighs ten. Wow, that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway. Um, I've worked with Barney a couple times. Oh, did you? Yeah, and uh, I was on also on the um, what they call it a, a, a satellite uh, recording, where satellite stations all over the USA and Canada could get satellite images of what I was doing, and they would could interview me on the radio, at, at the, and sometimes even for TV because we had a had cameras on. They were fixed. There was no cameraman working. Uh-huh. It just switched from one to a, to a two. So, uh, and one of the people said, uh, "Can you stand up, Big Bird? I'm, I, are you standing?" I said, "No, I'm sitting on a stool because I'm a lot taller than um, the dinosaur." <laughs> so I, he says, "Can you stand up?" I stood up. The camera's being fixed. I stood up right out of the picture. <laughs> Big Bird's head was above the frame. <laughs> Uh, and but he, he didn't have to. He was standing already. So yeah, <laughs> uh, a great deal of probably about a three foot difference in height. Wow, that's crazy. No, I, I read your book actually. The uh, words of wisdom, um, the wisdom of Big Bird. Um, I read that not too long ago, and I think it was chapter three. You mentioned three of your main heroes in life. One of them was Walt Disney, and the other one was Jim Henson. Yeah, and the third one was uh, um. The artist um, yeah. Wyatt, or Wyatt, uh, yeah, yeah. Andrew Wyatt. Yep. Yeah. And I, 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 we had been in the room with all three of them. Wow, that is crazy. I, I, I was hired to be an animator by Disney. Uh huh. Walt walked into the room just as they were saying, "Well, we, we think you could work out well as an animator for us." And Walt then walks in and says, oh, "Wow, can I talk to him?" They said, "No, he's going to be busy." So I never got to see. Oh him. no. But it was Walt. <laughs> yeah, you, you saw him. It was it was no more than uh, two, three feet away from me for a minute. Wow! See, in the, in the documentary, yeah. you mentioned that, but I didn't know you actually saw Walt himself. Yeah, so I did get to to, to meet all three of my, and uh, uh, it was interesting being with Andrew Wyeth. I met him in Boston, and he at the Museum of Fine Arts. He had a show, a, a retrospective show of his. He, some of the things. He he came out and I, I spoke to him and he came out in the lobby where I was waiting with Bozo the Clown mm-hmm. and who I used to work with yeah and uh, the Boston Bozo we call him so uh, it, well, Andrew then was with his son Jamie and he's showing his son, out to his son because a lot of it had been sold years before and why uh, Jamie had not seen a lot of it in person so uh, he said would you I'm going, to, I'm going to show this to my son would you like to come along with us. And, uh, and join me. So it's just three of us going through the whole uh, empty museum, hmm. except it was full of his paintings. God, it was great. Wow. Stuff. I and, can't uh, imagine. Yeah, so uh, I got to, and I, I, never ch- I didn't bother interrupting them at all while they were talking together, so I just watched. And yeah, oh yeah, that would still be and amazing. And uh, 
So I really had a wonderful time. Uh, and But with Walt, I didn't get a chance to speak to him. But Jim was the one who I worked with for long, for 20 years. Yeah, I was going to say, what, yeah. what was it like the first time you worked side-by-side side with Jim? Well, of course, I, I'm aware. I said, my God, I'm working with... I didn't get to work with Walt Disney because I walked out. I didn't take the job that day. I mm-hmm. decided I could do better. And that was only because of the pay. Yeah, yeah. $56 a week. That's not very good, even in 1957. Yeah. That's pretty poor for specialist work, you know. Exactly. So I, I, within a year, I was, uh, within six months, I was making animated films in uh, in Boston for commercials mostly. And uh, after four years, I discovered how much I don't like making animation. <laughs> <laughs> the last, I, I did all, only a little animation after the, the disaster of Louis losing that film. It burned up in the car. Yeah. I, I tried suing Ford, but they hired big guns because they didn't want to lose the case. Yeah. I lost, and it cost me a lot of money to lose, so uh, I didn't, decided not to do any more animation. I don't like it because I can get plenty of work doing what I do. And so the first time you worked side-by-side side with Jim, were you nervous? Were you excited? Yeah, well, I was, I guess. I was really in awe, uh, and, um, but it, I, was saying, I kept saying to myself, gosh, I'm working with Jim, and he was very quiet but very understanding and com- kind, very kindly man. And um, he never yell at you. But I wasn't doing so well the first few things I did. Mm-hmm. I kept missing the opening of a song we were doing. I, I keep missing it. I open the mouth of the puppet on the very first, when they first start to sing. The other two would be doing it was Frank and Jim. So he said, well, um, just uh, listen, there's a little tiny bell you'll hear, like ding, when you listen for that. And then open the mouth as you as it just the ring starts going away, ding and uh, open the mouth and uh, it, that's how he did. It. He'd rather say, "Can't you do it right?" Because mm-hmm. that's what Frank would speak to you about. <laughs> Frank is not the same man but, yeah. as Jim, but they they were very close as far as working goes. Yep, you know it's it's quite funny. Um, Walt Disney and Jim Henson are two of my idols as well, and yeah. I would have loved to have just been in the same room as it with both of them of course it, it can't happen now but uh oh yeah they're both gone yeah all I'll, of them all three are I, dead yeah i know I, I hate getting older it's just people passing yeah away. I, I had a lot of people my, 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 fav, my favorite classmate from high school he was the only one who uh, when i was being bullied mostly by words but also physically mm-hmm. and uh there was a lot of you'll see mentions of it if you see i am big bird yeah that's a, that's a great documentary so, um, he, Jack Whittier, it's just a tall guy, about 6'2", he said, don't listen to them, kid. They're, you're much better than they are. They're, they're just idiots. You know, and uh, you don't deserve what they're doing. So just ignore them if you can. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he was such a good fellow, but he just died. I was so sad. See him vote once a year. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. He, he funny. He, he uh, everybody ages differently, but he was still tall, very tall, but, uh, he always looked a little bit now as he got an older age. He looked like an old hound dog. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't know if he liked it. Yeah. <laughs> he was a wonderful guy. When Jim passed, how hard did that hit you personally? Well, we couldn't even believe it. I got a phone call at about a quarter seven in the morning. They wanted to call, let us know 
after his about his death, and not see it just on the TV because they knew it'd be you know, all the exactly. TV shows in the morning. And it was he died at one thirty at night, and uh, so so it, the phone call went like this: This is Ann Kinney. I'm private secretary for to Jim, and he died last night at two, one thirty. I said, Oh my God! But, no, died. And my and Deb heard heard me say that, and she assumed it was my dad who was very very old. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, so I said, no, not my dad, Jim. She says, Jim who? I said, Jim Henson. Well, she had to say that only because we were close friends with him, except uh, you can't picture him dying, the most vibrant, yeah. lively man I ever knew. The day he hired me, he said, how do you like to work? I said, he said, I said what do you mean? He said, well, do you like to work long hours? Like Frank and I like to work all day, all night. And then the next, all the next day, and then all the next night, and the next day again, too. Three days <laughs> without ever going to bed. Wow. Do you like to work like that? I said, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said, but I will work as much as you need me. Yep. I will be there. So, uh, and I don't think that Jim, uh, that Frank was quite the same as Jim, wanting to work like that. Jim said he hadn't had a vacation in three years, and he'd much rather work than go on a vacation. Hmm. Well, we, at that score, we're kind of directly opposite each other. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and now I only have to work once every few months. Wow. We didn't record this past year, so we'll make a lot up, up this year. Okay. But we're we're two months late starting, so you know, they're started. They'll start in April, but I'll be in Hawaii at the time. And I can. And I, now the way I'm doing it, I'm doing the voices, and I can add the voices to the scenes when I get back. Okay. So they said, go ahead with your trip. And so it's pretty nice. Is it Matt Vogel's? job, and I don't have to do it. <laughs> yeah, all yeah. the time. And Matt Vogel's in in the suit itself? Yeah. Okay. He's just a terrific guy. And he's, a, he's, a, he, he's working on The Muppet Show, too. But um, in the, an article I just got, in the, we found a, in a magazine called Masters' Preview, it says that uh, not only does he work for uh, Muppets, uh, as well as going to be my stand-in, uh, he's he's also uh, Kermit the Frog. He's not Kermit the Frog. Yeah, Steve Whitmire is. Yeah, and uh, he, but he does. Uh, he is now the person who does. The, I am the coat. I like to coat things. Okay, but he can do almost anything. So he's doing very important characters on the Muppet Show. Nice. That's that's like I'd be exciting somebody who you kind of brought up into the world. To see him go advanced yeah. like he is. Yeah, because I, I uh, Deb and I saw him at a local puppet festival in uh, Atlanta in nineteen in the late sixties, and he was doing a puppet so well. I said, "Gee, Muppets could would hire you on the spot. They could use you." Mm-hmm. So, so I'm just signing a contract with a uh, um, animated ones who created uh, things like uh, Huckleberry Hound and and those kind of puppets. Okay. Uh, not puppets, animated. Animated, yep. And uh, so they wanted to break into puppetry. Well, they so they uh, I I spoke to him just in time because he they, he as soon as he met uh, Jane, she says you're hired. You know, as soon as she saw his work, yeah, Jane Henson. Mm-hmm. She she would just go for him for new characters, new work, new workers. So uh, they uh, I, I'm kind of think of them. I'm trying to why is the name of these people? I can't. <laughs> anyway, they didn't make it with puppets. They, Oh, Hanna Barbera, you're thinking of Hanna Barbera. Yeah. yeah, they did not make it into the world of puppetry. It's it's hard to do. You need some background before you can just just step yeah. into it. 
And how did you come to the voice that we hear as as Big Bird now? How did you? Well, uh, at first he did. Uh, Jim said, "Think of the." He thought he he'd always wanted to make a character based on the Latroy dragon, which is a a dragon shaped cost, costume, but from the neck up, it's your hands in the head, and you can manipulate the head, and uh, make and it becomes very tall. Big Bird was eight feet two, and I was the smallest boy in my class, so it was a lot of satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> And that. So uh, when I suggested that uh, they let me play him as a kid, which is much more useful to the story than a yokel from from the sticks, he talked like a like a mortimus nerd. Mm-hmm. You probably don't know that character, but he was you know, part of Edgar Bergen's small troop of of ventrilo puppets. You know. So anyway, I, uh, I so I just lightened his voice. And, Big Bird's voice is my voice. I just just go higher. So hello, hello, hello. Hi there, here I am. And uh, so I just it's just my own voice. And uh, Oscar was a different thing. I never had done a voice like him. And uh, so it was probably you probably know it was the cab driver. Yes. And uh, we're two Mac. <laughs> like I said, gee, I think I can do that. You know, so I started talking like this. I said this will do it. But I decided to have him speak proper English. Because after all, although some characters say me want cookie and uh, uh-huh. and Elmo always speaks of himself in the third person, which which is not going to help him with learning. No, nope, exactly. But it also gives them quite a character. <laughs> so, but anyway, my, but uh, Oscar, if they if they put in words, the writers put in words eight, ain't, or other things like that, I uh, I correct it. <laughs> He's grouchy, but he's, he does speak a good English, and so does Big Bird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He might be grouchy, but he's he's good at grammar. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it, 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 it particularly since my characters, particularly in the way he used to be, because it was every day was uh, almost every day Bob McGrath would be the victim of, of Oscar's tricks. You know, like, like uh, what's that you got there, Oscar? So it's just a, my new invention is an electric spoon does all the work for you. So really, how does that work? I said, well, let's, I'll show you. Here's a bowl of, uh, well, the script came along and said, here's a bowl of uh, cold paint. And uh, I said, wait a minute, Tilt, you can't say that. I said, this is what's the matter. Well, we're teaching the kids don't eat paint. <laughs> and they're going to have Bob eat paint? Are you, are you kidding? Uh-huh. Not, they, none of the characters should ever suggest, even no. Oscar. If it's not food, we don't suggest eating it. Exactly, that's fine. So, uh, but I would. Uh, so Bob would pick up the spoon. And he did really all the work. And uh, I said, "Okay, I'm going to plug it in now, Bob." And there's a wire trailing from this big spoon, and it, it suddenly his hand goes back and forth in the cup, and he gets covered with gravy because I had him change it to cold gravy. <laughs> and uh, so Bob is covered. That's typical of what Oscar would pull on him. Oh yeah. And I had practice with that because on the Bozo show, I, I created a character called Bozo's Grandma, um, Grandma Nellie. He was always yelling in the cartoons, Whoa, Nellie! So I called her Grandma Nellie. Okay. And uh, she was always bamboo, trying to bamboozle him like a bucket of steam, 25 cents. Now, what do you want a bucket of steam for? <laughs> we <laughs> use dry ice for that. And I had my uh, a good friend of mine uh, who was a student at the time at BU. And uh, he was in the uh, box, which I had them build in the prop department. And uh, uh, so Carmanelli so would say, uh, 25 cents, please. And he'd have to reach in his pocket to the quarter. And uh, 
I see, so Granny would say, okay, I'm going to give you a scoop in here, some steam. And, of course, we, he put a chunk of dry ice and put a little water in there, and steam would come out of the bucket. So, But the thing is, he's down in that box. There was no air holes to get this, that uh, carbon dioxide out of there. Mm-hmm. Displaced the air. So I looked down in, and there was no, no, another, no, another bucket was not coming out. I looked down in, and Mark is un, unconscious on the floor of this oh, man. box. So I said, uh-oh, um, I, I see I think I'd better get out of here right now because I see there's another pigeon coming down the street, and I, maybe I can get some money off of him. <laughs> so I pushed it out. It's, it's on rollers, so I could get it off the thing. I said, get him out of there quick. He's dying. <laughs> <laughs> so he was all right after about half an hour. Wow. <laughs> you almost but anyway, I, uh, so the, the, she was always bamboozling her own grandson, and... Uh, so that was kind of a fun thing, and and because I, I was on every day, uh, and I, every show, some on some early days I was in every show, except maybe one or two per season. One year I was in every single show. Wow. Uh, so because Elmo kind of took over. Yeah, he did. He kind of did. That's around the time that I remember not watching it as much as when he was really introduced. Yeah. It's funny, I had a character, in, I had my first TV show in 1955 in Las Vegas. It paid $10 a week. Uh-huh. That's been a lousy show. I didn't even have a monitor. They wouldn't rig it up one, and they could have done this so easily. So anyway, uh, I had a rabbit. It was my the white rabbit from Alice in Wonderland. My mother built that show, uh-huh. big flop of the show. That, that Alice in Wonderland is not a great story for kids. <laughs> no. <laughs> Too silly. Kids don't like it. It's kind of boring. Anyway, uh, uh Let's see what happened. Oh, I know. He had. I used a falsetto voice for for Rascal Rabbit, the star of the show. And um, <laughs> if the thing is that um, uh, I, I, that boy, I had a writer who was, it was very wordy writing. Uh, it was all just talk. Not a great show. Should be a lot more action with puppets, Some peekaboo and all that stuff. So uh, I, I, I I suddenly got no orders to get shipped to Europe, and I was I was kind of thrilled at that. So, but I knew I had to end my TV show, so I so I go to work and I said this is going to be the last next to the last show because after next week I'll be gone. I said why? Oh, I'm being shipped out. And uh, so the director said, "Let me tell you something, my boy. If you ever get another TV show, don't ever use that voice again." After a half hour hearing him talking <laughs> that squeaky voice, so it sounded just like Elmo. <laughs> wow. I just think uh, years later, taking me. Never did the... use that voice again. <laughs> yeah, falsetto <laughs> was easy to do then. Now my uh, my voice hasn't changed. Uh, Big Bird sounds just like he did when he started, which why I, I can still be in yeah. my eighties and do the show and play the six year old. I don't think anybody has ever on in show in radio or television done a six year old. No, actually <laughs> in his eighties. <laughs> I, I can't think of one now. <laughs> no, I don't think there is. You've been Big Bird for more than 40 years. Yeah, 46 it's years now. Sad to say that there's one. There's going to be one day when Carol Spinney is no longer Big Bird, voice or the, yeah. the puppet. What would you like to be remembered as? What would your version of Big Bird like to be remembered as? Well, the child that he, that we've always played him as ever since I changed it. And uh, continue to be uh, the naive, but uh, 
naive is kind of a kind word for stupid, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's not really dumb. It, 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 originally, Big Bird was very, very, uh, not very smart. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, that was the idea behind him. And I said, I don't think he, I think he should be maybe a little slow and le- slower at learning than uh, a real child, but uh, still he can learn. And uh, he wasn't, you know, drooling or anything. <laughs> so I, I just, I think just continue to be, he's, he's actually more of a human than he is a bird, because the birds only want a cracker. Well, they want a cracker. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, but uh, he, he's a, he, got, he would be in human kind of roles all the time. I think they would probably continue with it uh, after I'm gone. Yes. Yeah. Uh, certainly people like Matt, who can get very close to the voice, although while I'm alive, they're paying the extra thing because he would, could do the voice uh, for me to continue doing the voice, which is wonderful because I don't want to stop. No, I wouldn't want to stop either. Sounds like a dream job. Yeah, people say, why don't you, don't you want to retire? I said, what, walk away from being Big Bird? Would you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Most people say, oh, yeah, put it that way. Yes, I would want to leave. <laughs> and, and nobody does. Now, earlier in the interview, you mentioned that you do you commission drawings. People commission you to draw. How can people do that? How can people pay you to, to get a drawing? Well, uh, they, some people write to me and ask, can you do some sketches for me? Well, I, they don't offer any money, and I don't bother. I've got too many... I can't even answer all the mail. Exactly. And uh, but I, I have a little gallery in Putnam, Connecticut, that sells my stuff. It's the only one representing me now. And so, if people like the stuff, uh, they can see it on the internet if they want, because it's it's on the internet too. Uh, or and they can commission. Uh, sometimes it's come by phone, the commissions. And uh, but a lot of times they'll see the drawings and they say. Really, can you do a drawing specifically for something I want done? Mm-hmm. They said, of course. And uh, so this one is going to be a, more money because I'm doing a lot of research in it. Exactly. A lot of characters from different countries. That would be amazing to have an official Carol Spinney drawing. Well, they are pretty nice because I was, uh, the one, one thing got me hired quickly with Disney was it said, your stuff was, it, it, we we like the fact that you you already draw like um and the Disney kind of style. Yeah. Well, I I just loved Walt Disney stuff so much when I was a kid that I uh, have, have for years tried to emulate them, not copy them so much. Exactly. Create my own characters, but yep. have them be like they would come out of the Disney studio, maybe. Well, all right, Carol. This has truly been an honor. I I've interviewed most of my childhood, you know, heroes besides the ones I already passed on. And I got to say, this has got to be my favorite one I've ever done. So this has been truly fun and honor talking with you. Well, thank you. It's very kind. Well, I, I hope I answered what you need. For you, if you have any follow-up needs, you can use the phone. Actually, you know what? I do have one more follow-up. Since last week was the, the anniversary of the Challenger, and yeah. you, you talked about that on the documentary, how you were supposed to be on the Challenger. Can you just kind of talk a little bit about that? That part really hit me pretty hard when I watched the documentary. I, I cried when I watched it because it was just so... I mean, first of all, we lost so many great people, but then Big Bird could have been on the Challenger. Tell me a little bit about know, that story. It would have been. It would. They. They, they realized it was. A, it would, if Big Bird died on that thing, I, I can't uh, imagine it would be what me would... too. Because, uh, and it, it, yet I've often thought, if I had, the reason why I couldn't go cause it was because the bird was too big to put on the ship, uh, no place to store it. And um, I, I'm glad I didn't offer my suggestion, which was keep him. It wouldn't matter if he was out in the vacuum. Yeah, he could, could have stored it in the big storage area where they could 
have an arm in there, they take things out. Exactly. You know, they, they, yeah. they set things out in orbit with that uh, mechanical arm that can lift things out. I thought, well, they could just uh, put the costume in there and bring it in through the airlock. And um, I, so that way I could get to go. But then I'm, afterwards I thought, gosh, I'm glad I didn't tell them. Yeah. No, although I felt we we were we watched it go up and we cried because it was so sad to think of those people dying. Yeah, that I can imagine the kind of pain that even people. I, I, but knowing I had been scheduled to go up in it, um, that uh, I my scalp crawled when I thought, oh my God, they just all died, just died. I would have been there. Very very uh, awful thought because I'm very happily married. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that in the documentary. She seems very lovely. Yes, she is. She's just the best thing. I, I, I want to, at that part. They twice in the film they come back to this party where I, I was singing "I Love Trash" uh-huh. myself without being uh, with the puppets or anything. And that was a party that Jim Henson threw for my fifteenth year of being with them. Gosh, now it's forty-six years because Jim <laughs> didn't stay that long himself, unfortunately. Wow. And um, but uh, in that party, uh, I said uh, getting to be Big Bird was the second greatest thing I ever had happen to me. And I then put my arm around Deb, who was standing next to me, mm-hmm. which was made, you know, I didn't have to use all the words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, so, uh, but as a, as a person, a boy who was a puppeteer, boy puppeteer, and that habit be go into such, such success, it's really, and I, I've been mentoring a young man. Uh, he wrote to me first when he was five, to me, not to Big Bird, because children would write to Big Bird a lot. Oh, wow. Dear Big Bird, you're my best friend. How about, why'd you kind of play with me? How about next Thursday? That was... Oh. Another one was, um, I've just gotten a brand new bunk bed. It's a top and a bottom. You can come and stay, and you can have the top. That is so sweet. <laughs> when I was a kid, I had a chance to be in bunk beds, and I always wanted the top. Uh-huh. It just seemed like you're on the top of the world, you know? <laughs> yeah, those... In the Air Force, I took the top bunk. <laughs> Finally get the top bunk. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I I was awfully lucky and happy that I could do this for a living. Well, you've made a lot of children very happy. I know that for a fact. Well, thank you. And uh, you know, it's 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 a nice. When I was uh, uh, what what we did in uh, Salt Lake City was uh, almost an anniversary of the. Well, it was a, not that I I I did my show that was a disaster. It was in August, I think, of 1969. And, uh, of course, it did give me this job. But, uh, anyway, I, I really have a, a, my life seemed like this is what it should happen for me, you know, mm-hmm. to get that job. And as soon as I saw what the show was like, I said, I think I'm going to be in a terrific position because uh, I think, and I'm the only two puppets who was on regularly all every day. And I had the two characters. Within a year, Big Bird and Oscar were the stars of the show, and they were only intended to be just in a little uh, more fantasy than just everything being real. Yep. So, uh, so I, I said, I think I'm going to, this is going to be awfully good for me. And uh, indeed it was. So uh, since you've been Big Bird so many years, do you ever have weird dreams where you actually are Big Bird? Not lately, but I have. <laughs> and it's all funny because uh, um, once in a while I'm still working for the Muppets, although I've never... I'm just another schlep with the Muppets. And, uh, uh, but uh, some of the stories would be, I'm, I'm late getting to the show. Uh-huh. It was a nightmare. I couldn't get to the show in time. And, uh, and, I, and I would be always upset. There's no script. 
and yet you said, you'll know what to do when you get out there. I said, can't go out on national television without some <laughs> some direction, some idea what you're going to do. And, the, you know, that, that one is a theme that often comes along. I, I must, within the last year, I had that same dream. It, yeah. it's, it's almost like the high school dream where you forget the combination on your locker or something. Yeah, it's not quite... It's not quite the same as being downtown with no clothes on. Or yeah, something. yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I had that dream. That wasn't too comfortable. <laughs> well, all right, Carol. This has been amazing. Can I get you to close the episode out as Big Bird and Oscar? Sure. Well, it's awfully nice talking to you there, Tim. It's nice visiting with you. And I, I, I keep watching Sesame Street if you get a chance. <laughs> and Oscar's here, too. Oscar, everything you want to say? Yeah, be quiet, you turkey. Hey, I'm not a turkey. Well, <laughs> he always calls me a turkey. I'm not a turkey. I'm really a giant golden condor. You look like a, I think, I don't think you're one of those either. Yeah, well, I know I'm really, I'm not a giant golden condor. I'm really just a lark. <laughs> Little funny words there. Bye, everybody. Hey, have a run day. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, Carol. Thank you so much. Hopefully, one day I can actually meet you in person. Sure, love it. We're gonna. Uh, where are you uh, located? I'm in Montana, so it's kind of hard for me to. Nothing really uh, comes around Montana. We we you know we filmed in uh, Billings. Oh. Uh, uh, did you see the movie? You did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you could. There's some scenes from Billings, um, where we met the uh, Crow Crow Indians, and uh, you know, Big Bird is. Is uh, I'm not uh, me. I'm standing there, and it's the most beautiful hills, all covered with little, little, little uh, uh, juniper trees. They call them cedars there, but they're not really cedars. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, I love that part of the country, but yes. I, I like where we are. So we never, I never did move to New York. I spent uh, 46 years driving back and forth to New York, and it's a it's an hour and three quarter hour ride. Wow, that's insane! But it's totally worth it, though. Yeah, well, it's worth it at both ends because. I have a piece of land that I bought in 1961 for forty dollars an acre, and it's a kilometer long, and and it's the most beautiful piece of land you ever saw. You would starve to death on it. Poor, <laughs> poor soil. You know, it wouldn't be good for a farmer. But uh, and there's so much rock and cliff cliffs. There's rocks stick up out of the ground all over the place. Big great uh, ledges, and and uh, one of the cliffs is about thirty feet high. It's a straight drop. Dramatic. Oh, is that is that the part of the documentary we see where your wife is sitting there on the cliff? Yeah, although that cliff was uh, in Ireland. That was okay. the cliff of Mohar. Okay. But those cliffs were 70, uh, yeah. 700 feet high. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and see, I, there was a promontory of land sticking out. That's how I got that shot. Uh, you know, um, and so I could look across a gap and see her. That's right. I, I said, you sit there and then I'll wave to you where I'm going to start filming. We we got so much good footage. We gave them uh, probably uh, 500 hours of film. What? <laughs> that is great! <laughs> took them, wow. Took them four four years to sort through it to, to, and make the story they put together. Wow. I thought they did a good job. Oh, it was it was remarkable. It really inspired me. You know, it's funny. People, uh, uh, I uh, one guy has been writing to me. Just I've never met him, uh, but. Uh, I continue. I answer his letters once in a while. I haven't got time to do much. But uh, yeah. Anyway, he's older than I am. Old, older than dirt, as we say. <laughs> so anyway, he uh, uh, he said you must be making a lot of money from that movie. I know you, you're, when you're in the subject of a documentary, they get the money. Exactly. Not, not you. Yep. You're the subject. 
but it's not like being an actor and being paid. I'm not complaining. I love these guys. They look great. Yeah. No. And it, that movie can't hurt. Nope. Like my, my future. Anyway, I'll let you go. Yeah, Kara, this has been great. Okay, yeah. well, have a rotten day. <laughs> hey, that's my words. Sorry, Oscar. Hey. I'd never say that. I'm sorry, but I'd never say that. You just said it, Oscar. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to that Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.